15th of June here uh, on this Sunday evening. Another edition of the Chair Shop Podcast coming your way. I'm one of your hosts, Barry Murphy. Joined as always by my ever dependable co host, first of all, Mr. Paul Griffin. You lied to me. And also, Mr. Joe Chowder on backup vocals. You lied to me. You said you'd never turn on me. You lied to me. But I try. But I try. Damn, those high notes. Good job. <laughs> Joking. Hello. Bust the no, he's no slouch. He's no slouch. Um, I, def- I definitely bust him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that part of uh, Billy Gunn's theme song? <laughs> I've heard Joe sing before. That's not the first time on this show we've had Joe singing. So it won't be the last. Listener, yeah, listeners should not be just surprised to hear that he can sing. Pretty good. Um, well, lads, we're, we're back at it here for another week. Life chugs along. Uh, what have you all been up to this week in your lives? Well, last week I did some shopping on Amazon, which I talked about. All my stuff arrived, and it's great, and it makes me happy to to get material things that Life I don't is need. Just that easy. Nice, nice. So let me tell you, I bought a little uh, adapter for SCART input, oh, or yes. whatever you call the the red, white, and yellow cables. For that to go to HDMI, so I could play my old consoles on yes, my HDMI yep. TV, uh, worked great for the Super Nintendo and Nintendo sixty four. Uh, the Wii had a bit of a problem with it though, and I remember when I used to uh, this. Children won't remember this. Not only nineties kids remember how this used to work. Um, I used to try to record gameplay from my. Let's yeah. say GameCube, uh, direct, directly to like my VCR. So you would plug the SCART cable into the back of the VCR, mm. uh, but it wouldn't work. It was like there was some yeah. copy protection, yeah, in the, in the transmission, and the, it would have like a really bad, like flickering image. So that's what happened when I tried to put my my um, Wii through this adapter. So I bought another adapter, specifically one for the Wii. Oh. Uh, and that one works a treat. It's, it's, it's one that just plugs directly into the back of the Wii. Uh, and you just use a HDMI cable. So you're not plugging your regular cable in the back, having an adapter, and then a HDMI cable into that. Uh, which means now that all of my consoles, as far back as the Super Nintendo, I can play now through HDMI. Which is, which is a fun thing. It's fun. Um, because, let me tell you, trying to play SCART through a HDTV looks like well, yeah, utter yeah. shit. It just can't be done. It looks so bad. Um, I also got a Zelda book. Uh, Dark Horse Comics make these uh, Legend of Zelda encyclopedias. Uh, And I got the newest one, which is specifically a Breath of the Wild one. It has all, you know, uh, art, like concept art and things about the various areas in the game and races. And it's a big, you know, 350-page encyclopedia. Uh, so I'm slowly making my way through that. 
I got my Simpsons quiz book, which we're, we're going to be doing our Simpsons quiz today. Uh, 172 pages of Simpsons trivia. Uh, from the we're going to do every <laughs> single page. Strap in, baby. Uh, let me. I'll ask you the very first question in the in the book to kind of gauge where you guys are with your oh, no. Simpsons knowledge. Uh, buzz in if you know the answer. Listeners, play along at home. Uh, what is the name of the youngest member of the Simpson family? Let me look oh. up the answer here. No, you cut. You cut uh, out the youngest point. member of the Simpson family. Yeah, we, we didn't hear the question. Right. Margaret, what is the name of the youngest uh, member of the Simpson family? Uh, Grandpa. Uh, the answer is Maggie? Grandpa. Very good. Now, Mag- no. Maggie, Margaret. So, uh, more of that later on. Um, did I get up to anything else, or did I get any more tat? Uh, no, I think that's about it. What about you guys? Decent, decent week. Um, had yeah. some leaving leaving drinks on Friday uh, for someone who's who's leaving the company, which and normally these Zoom calls are completely unbearable. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually we did a quiz, we did an hour long quiz, um, which was actually quite fun. We had some drinks while we were doing it, so that was pretty fun. Saturday was a beautiful day. Here, sun shining all day. So, literally sat in the garden from about ten in the morning till about seven at night, reading some uh, some books. Um, oh. So it was nice to kind of get outside, get out of the house, uh, do something other than looking at a screen. Um, so that was fun. Um, and then I think it was, was it Friday night or last night? I I watched AC Milan versus uh, Juventus in the um, Italian Cup semi final. Uh, second leg possibly the most boring <laughs> game of football um i've ever watched i was gonna say was it was all wasn't it I, I missed there was a penalty and a sending off i think in the first or 10 in yeah in the first 10 15 minutes but which i tuned in after that and i think those were the only two things that happened in the game it was literally nothing happened after that um ronaldo looked really slow I don't know if it's just kind of getting back to fitness, but he looks, he's starting to look his age, I think. Um, with some passes that he normally would have chased down that he just could not get to. But he is, yeah, he must be 35 now. Yeah, I know. I noticed that in the um, in the Champions League games before the virus took mm-hmm. over, that he, he did not look good in those games. Yeah, I just don't think he can play play that many games. You know, he played 43 games last season. That is a lot for a 35-year-old. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. This could be his, uh, his last kind of great season. Um, yeah, but other than that, nothing nothing else too much. How about you, Barry? Uh, you know, quite enough. Uh, um, got to, you know... Uh, more and more places to venture out to as we as we move along. We discussed on last week's show, you know, the the, the gradual reopening of, of Ireland, and uh, mm. uh, this week I got to um, really exciting. I got to uh, go into GameStop and cancel a pre order I had. Um, that was that was Ooh. great. The uh, uh, waited months for them to open to do that. Uh, 
decided in the uncertainty of of, of their future during the lockdown, I'd say that. I'll get Last of Us on the PS4 online. I'll just get it online. You know, none of this faffing around, queuing up to the shop, doing the social distance queue. Um, so I went in there. So they're just back open. And more importantly than that, I actually went to a recently owned establishment and bought something. Um, I got, after around 50 minutes of queuing, I got a McDonald's for the, for the first time. Not the I know definitely not of this year, but I don't think I've had too many this year because McDonald's closing was one of those things that, you know, as everything was happening, when you didn't realize the length of the lockdown you were entering, I didn't think to myself, you know, you, you just didn't think about it, did you? You didn't think I'll have one more pint in the pub. You didn't mm. think I'll have one more McDonald's workos. Um, and so it's been quite a while since I had uh, a McDonald's, but they did open up across the country, the drive-through service only. So me and the missus went. Uh, now, I will say, you know, 50 minutes sounds like a lot. I thought we were going to be longer when I saw the queue. We went there about three days after they opened and the queues were still um, uh, snaking around the car park. It's uh, the, the McDonald's we went to, it's next to a uh, um, a cinema and a shopping center. It's quite a sizable car park in it. So the, the, the queue was kind of snaking around. I was like, oh my God, this is actually not going to be worth it. This is going to be two hours, whatever. But, you know, it's very, you know, snappy, just in and out, you know, limited menu as well. So none of this faffing around, this person wants a McFrappuccino, none of that shite. You're just going, you're getting your Big Mac and your and your nugs and uh, um, you're good to go. So, yes, we went. And I have to say, much like when Burger King returned a few weeks ago, it's never tasted so good, lads. It has never tasted this good. I probably will not enjoy a McDonald's as much as this. Um, prob- probably ever again. Um, so yeah, we we bought, I got a um, quarter pound of a cheese meal. So I got my chips and got my oh, oh and yes. uh, so the missus got her her meal. But also between us, we got the old twenty nug box. Um, oh, don't you know, so nugs. we gotta we gotta just make the bo- because also like uh, this was great and I didn't regret queuing, but I won't be doing it again anytime soon until you know, normal traffic levels at the McDonald's have resumed. So I got a nice big sizable meal of, of, of all that. And uh, it was it was fantastic. It was really great. Um, and what, what dips did so you So obviously the, the Nug box is very popular because they were sold out of barbecue. Now, I see, I want the barbecue. To me, oh. to me that is, that's kind of the allure of the meal. So instead, we just got, um, we we should have gotten a mix of the other ones. But in, in the old drive-through panic, after they tell you they don't have something you want, we just got four curries. Um, which, you know, their curries, not, you know, it's not great, it's not bad, but it's not amazing either. Um, so, better than, better than nothing, yeah. So, um, yeah. Do they, do you have the big, bigger tubs, the bigger dip tubs over there now? No. Or like the small, the ones are sort of size of a nut. They're, the old ones, sort of white plastic ones, were about the size of a nug. Yes, we have those. Yeah, that's what, is we, that what you do, still do have. You guys, do you guys have a, a bigger, uh, more welcoming uh, dip box? Yeah, they, they've started introducing these sort of bigger ones. They're probably the size of like, I wouldn't say like a coaster, but like somewhere in between. The are they like, one are the they like when, so you can, when you ask for the big dip at Domino's? Are they like that? Yeah, they'd probably be that okay. kind of size. Um, so you can you can kind of like it's not just dipping the nug in; you can kind of scoop, you know, like like a kind oh, of Doritos. That's dip, the good stuff. That's the good stuff. You know, size. Yeah, oh. 
And I just kind of think, like, why did it take so long to bring that in? Like, what were they fucking doing with these little hot little dip pots? You can barely it has get to one be, chicken. It has to be penny pinching, I would imagine. I mean, that's, you know, the, the, yeah. the dips you get free with the box have to be a little paltry um, uh, sample. But, um, yeah, good to have yeah. the Mac back. And, um, yeah, uh, Paul, I, I mean, you didn't do any... I mean, neither of us went to pennies, I'm assuming. Um no, uh, no. I mean, no, I no. don't go there at the best of times, but it's just one of those things that just the concept of queuing for it. I, I think McDonald's will be my one thing I'll I'll queue for uh, and all that. Like when the pubs open up at the end of the month, I would love to sit in a pub and have a fresh pint. Um, but the, it's you just know it's not going to be worth the the many likely the many hours it's going to take to 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 get in. Um, so like I said, I think McDonald's will be my one thing for the next few weeks that I bother queuing for and everything else will, I, I can wait until something resembling normality really resumes for those. And that, that was my life. That was no, there was not a whole lot else going on this week. It kind of revolved around the nugs. I've never heard the word <laughs> nug used so liberally until today. Right, what's next? So, yeah, telly guff. The, the telly. Well, let me start with the telly guff, if I may. Um, I watched some Simpsons uh, this week. Uh, four three as- aspect ratio as God Almighty intended. <laughs> with his five fingers. Um, I watched a couple of random episodes. First of all, I watched I Love Lisa, the uh, the Ralph Wiggum episode. Which, let me tell you, that episode is right up there with A Star is Burns. Not necessarily in my list of preferences, but in terms of pure quotability. So many of those little Simpsons quotes, especially the Ralph Wiggum ones, all kind of yeah. come from this one episode. Um, The most uh, egregious of those being the, you can see the exact moment his heart breaks in half. Mm-hmm. Was just I see a meme version of that almost every day, uh, and then we watched because Natty had never what? seen this episode. She might be the what? only person in the world, uh, and as a result, doesn't know the resolution of this episode. But we watched Who Shot Mister Burns. Wow. That, this is like this is like you thought her out twice. <laughs> she is Jasper in Apu's uh, is that you ball? Freezer. Time has ravaged your once good looks. <laughs> well, that's true, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I was saying to Natty, now you need to watch out for all the clues here because there are clues. There are real clues in the episode, uh, and at the end of it, she said, "I didn't see any clues. There was no clues." To the- she did make about 10 guesses. Now, she's not in the room, so I can speak yeah, careful. somewhat freely. I'll come, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll come up close to the mic and whisper it. But she did make about 10 guesses. One of them was oh. the baby. So I had to act all I had to act all coy and, well, well you, you never know. Um, watching it back with someone who hasn't seen it before and watching it with that point of view, the the bit where Mr. Burns goes, 
like taking candy from a baby. Well, that sounds like a laugh. That is such a weird right turn in that episode. <laughs> that it's, it serves no other purpose other than to set that up. Yeah. But it is very funny. Um, such a great, a great episode. Not a, a not a terribly funny episode, but a, a really effective episode as a kind of who done it in the Simpsons universe. And it sets up so many um suspects in a really clever really uh effective way i thought it was great i loved it um i I finished rick and morty i watched that last episode finally i thought it was good i didn't think it was the the strongest of that last run but it was it was a good ep good ep uh good a good uh finale for a very strong season and as quickly as it was back, Rick and Morty is gone again. And for that, we are yeah, yeah. God, I feel like I was, I feel like I was waiting for ages because it was before Christmas it wrapped up, didn't it? Yeah, God, I feel like because yeah. I didn't know when it was coming back, and I was kind of constantly looking for for updates. And yeah, back for like five episodes or whatever it was. That was a yeah. It's it's because you know series will do that sometimes. I remember South Park used to always split its season in half and show half of it in. March and half of it in September or whatever, but even that was when they used to do a uh, fourteen episode season, yeah. thirteen, fourteen, and now they they do ten, but they do it in one block. It's so strange to have only five episodes in a row. It it almost doesn't feel like a completed season, but that's how it is. Um, we continued watching RuPaul's All Star uh, Drag Race. Another very fun episode of that is always a highlight of my week. Um, I started following a lot of the uh, the drag queens on Twitter, just because I'm they're they're, they're personalities that I, I have interest in. Um, <laughs> you'll be surprised to hear that a lot of these um, a lot of these homosexual drag queens post a lot of uh, really really gay stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, you're having a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I wasn't entirely prepared for for whatever reason, but uh, uh, we watched that. That was good <laughs> fun. Um, it reminds me of one of the very first episodes uh, I watched of Drag Race. RuPaul himself, I forget who like the guest host or the guest um, judge, but they always have some like celebrity guest judges, and they did some joke about like homosexuals, and RuPaul himself was like, "What? There are homosexuals on the show?" And that's kind of. <laughs> My same reaction to following them on Twitter is like, oh my god, these men are all gay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that that's a show that I I intensely enjoy. Um, I'm still watching the Soup, of course. I don't need to always mention the Soup, mm. but that's still a show that I'm enjoying. And I don't think I've watched anything else. So that's okay. all for me. Um, funnily yeah. enough, I actually just rewatched Two Shot Mister Burns. Um. Because that's just that just came up on the old Simpsons rewatch. Once I once I get out of the good episodes um, this time, I've now watched them so much in quick succession. I think it's time to give them an old rest. Uh, but that's a that's a damn fine episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what about you, Joe? What have you been watching this week? Um, bit more Ninety Day Fiance. Um, still still chugging through that. Um, jumping between the the current series, which is is ongoing week to week, and watching. Season one of The Other Way, which is where the American moves to the other country. Um, 
it's it's kind of the same thing that always happens with these seasons when we watch this show. Is that at the first I'm like, oh, these people are boring. Oh God, I don't like these couples. They're not as good as the couples on the last season. I don't care. Blah blah blah. After about five episodes, I if I don't find out what happens to uh, Jenny and Sumit in Mumbai, I mm. will literally kill myself because their lives are that important to me. Um, so they <laughs> they get me every time with this shit. Um, the the editing is very very good. So yeah, I've been watching that. Um, watched a show on BBC called Sitting in Limbo, um, which was a, a drama that went out. I think it was last week. Um, was the start of this week? But anyway, it's about the Windrush scandal. Yes, yeah. Um, for those aren't familiar, that was the Windrush generation were the first kind of wave of. Uh, kind of West Indian, Caribbean um, immigrants that came over to Britain in the 50s, kind of after the war, to sort of take on jobs in in the health service and other sort of key industries that that needed, you know, uh, sort of fresh workers. Um, All those people came over here, they settled here, they were allowed to come here, work here. 50 years on, the government decided that all of these people suddenly had to prove that they belonged, you know, to, in the UK, that they had residency. And of course, for all intents and purposes, these, these were all British people. Um, they'd never, you know, lived anywhere else. They'd all come here as children or very young sort of teenagers. Um, and they were asked to suddenly provide, you know, passports and birth certificates and prove that they'd always lived in the in the UK. And if they couldn't, they were essentially treated as illegal immigrants and put in detention centres, which is essentially a glorified prison, uh, but without going through any kind of trial or due process. Um, so the, the this drama, Sitting in Limbo, was based on a particular story, a true story of one of the men who was kind of caught up in this and sort of his experiences of trying to, you know, prove sort of who he was and, and the, you know, suddenly his whole kind of life being questioned and, you know, his wife was British, his kids were all British, but, you know, he wasn't considered as such. So it was very, it was very tough drama and a very kind of shocking and shameful episode, but I think certainly worth watching as well to kind of, to kind of see um, what these people went through. So yeah, good, good um, doc, kind of docudrama and especially kind of relevant at, at this time as well. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a good show. Um, yeah, that was, that was about it. Other than that, just watching the old usual shite. Um, I do have another edition of the feature where I read out a Simpsons description that I haven't named yet. Okay. Are you, I'm, are I'm you very ready? Are you yeah, both ready? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so this is episode 477 of The Simpsons. Um, it's called The Blue and the Grey. It aired on February the 13th, 2011. <clears throat> After spending another Valentine's Day alone, Mo attends a seminar led by Dr. Kissinger in the hopes of gaining more confidence with women. I swear we just had a Mo yeah, episode we did, like yeah. two, two episodes ago. I was, was gay. I was thinking another Mo episode. He was gay two episodes, now he's single again. Mo takes the doctor's advice and asks Homer to be his wingman. Meanwhile, Marge discovers her first grey hairs, only to find out from her hairdresser that she is completely grey. The fumes from the chemicals he uses to dye it erase her memory. Oh, God. <laughs> See, seeing a grey-haired couple having a good time on Worried About Their Hair, Marge surprises the family and the neighbourhood by going completely grey and sporting a brand new mature hairdo. 
Amidst mixed reactions, Bart is not happy when the neighbourhood kids tease him about Marge's look, and Marge is annoyed when neighbourhood women believe she's older than she really is. Unhappy about the look, Homer initially tells Marge that she is his silver bell to appease her, but subsequently spends more time helping Mo with women in order to avoid looking at her, during which he becomes increasingly popular with young ladies. Later, Patty and Selma point out to Marge Homer's true feelings about her look, this only being made the more obvious to her when two women gossip about his appearance at the club that night. A jealous Marge heads to the club to surprise Homer, but suffers increasing mishaps resulting in her having a witch-like appearance. At the club, she confronts him upon seeing a crowd of women flirting with him, but Homer helps Marge realise that he only has eyes for her and proves that love is still in the Springfield air. Eventually, Marge changes her hair colour back to blue to combat the jealousy issues, and Homer dyes his hair blue for her. <laughs> I mean, like that doesn't like that like other than the 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 shitty setup. I mean, it, at the very least, that sounds like a kind of Homer and Marge uh, uh, relationship centric episode, which which of the classic era, that's usually a, a recipe for a good episode. Yeah, this what happened with Mo though? It, there's no mention of that. I guess <laughs> well, that was the point of the episode originally. Um, yeah, this one kind of seems a bit simpler than the previous ones where very convoluted well, the, plots the witch the witch part is the convoluted part uh, well yeah yeah um also i've you know i hate to point this out but i think we established that marge was already gray and dyed her hair with um dye from yeah the quickie mart if i remember correctly so uh i hope somebody got fired for that <laughs> blunder <laughs> Um, it's funny. I just re- you referenced that. Um, I, I'm still. I'm nearly finished. I'm still plucking away at Mike Reese's book, and he talks about how he does read. He and most of the writers do read the fan criticism, um, and I, I had never heard this, but apparently, the, the it kind of seems obvious in hindsight. But like the the renewed emphasis on comic book guy towards the end of the glory years stems from stems from <laughs> uh, feedback. They not feedback, but comments they've seen from fans. Um, it's that it's kind of an interesting little like middle section of the uh, of the book is that you like there's a there's a chapter about like uh, uh, what does he say to people who think the show has gone down hill in in terms of quality and he I suppose he can't really say much else to what would still work again but it kind of just seems like hey that's subjective and you know we've the show has been going for 30 years therefore we've 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 run through every conceivable storyline with each member of the family twice over and i'm like i suppose and i suppose he can't really take the stance of we should have cancelled it 20 years ago so that's not a, a reasonable expectation mm-hmm. but yeah that was um that was an a, an interesting thing to read but um i did pull up here just because um uh just you, you got me thinking about it this is one of the last things i read in the book um this is from the um so i don't recall last week listeners i i'm reading mike reese's book he's one of the he's probably the most longest tenured writer of simpsons dating back to season one i'm pretty sure in yeah no definitely season one and it's still there today so here is his list right of best episodes ever okay and i for, for the most part this is a very standard list but um so you've got marriage versus the monorail Fair enough. I mean, that's that's on everyone's list. Yeah. The, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Guest Star, which if you've not seen that, that's season 16. That's Homer Becomes a Catholic. It's the one Liam Neeson is in. Um, 
that was long past the point I gave a fuck, mm. so I don't think I've seen that one. Um, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't imagine. So yeah, I mean that, and that's the other thing about this book. I mean, look, he he seems like he still really enjoys doing the show. That's kind of the, that's, and I think that kind of colors his 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 take on whether or not it's 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 drifted in quality. It still seems like an, a very very earnestly a passion project that he still loves doing. So so maybe he's just a bit too close to it. Anyway. Next, he's got Radio Bart, which is the uh, Timmy O'Toole down the well episode. That's a, that's a great one. Um, the, again, I've not I've not seen this one myself. The seemingly never ending story, season seventeen. Uh, yeah, I, and he doesn't even he, he doesn't even really describe it in great detail here, so I don't know. I don't really know anything about that one. Uh, Treehouse of Horror six, which was the one with three uh, D Homer and Paul Anka. Uh, uh, that's a good one. I like that one. Okay. It's not. I never liked. The yeah, and it's one. it's 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 funny because on the, it's it's a good episode, but it's funny because on the on the director's commentary on the DVD, all of the people involved seem to malign that one because they chose it for the Emmy that year and they didn't win it because mm. they thought three D gimmick would win them the thing. But but yeah, right. uh, season eight. This is the most. This is even more so than the later seasons, which I haven't even seen. Uh, season eight, the Mary Poppins episode. That's shit. That's like one of that. That is like season eight overall is still really really great. That is, but that is the first. That might be the first terrible Simpsons episode. I would say. I can't. Um, I can't think yeah. of one actual outright bad episode in the previous eight years. Um, and then the last, the last ones are all fine. King Size Homer season seven. That's obviously a classic. Uh, Lisa the Skeptic. That's probably one of the better later episodes. That's the one with the angel. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd put it on my list, but it's, you know. Uh, and <laughs> I think I have a bit of a controversial take on this one. No, the la his last one is Last Exit Ooh. to Springfield. I don't think that's one of the best episodes ever, but that is like universally on everyone's list, right next to the monorail one, the Last Exit to Springfield. I, yeah. I, think, I think it's very good, but I, I don't know. I, 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 it, it never really uh, washed with me, but... Um, there's your there's your designated Simpsons half hour. Anime. Oh no, we have more later actually. <laughs> uh, that was part one. Well, do we yeah, want to go into part two on the uh, on the Simpsons uh, uh, tip? Okay. Well, we have for one week only our Simpsons quiz because I, I bought this uh, this book. The book is called "So You Think You Know the Simpsons Are uh, Still Totally Unauthorized." Uh, it was published in 2003, although this this edition published in Great Britain in 2006. So we're potentially going up as far as 2006 here. Okay. Um, we have two sections to this quiz. We have uh, section one with questions taken from the book. And then we have section two with questions that Ooh. I myself created about a specific Simpsons topic. Uh, the rules of the quiz are thusly you each get 12 questions there is no multiple choice the question will be asked exactly as it appears in the book and I need the answer exactly as it appears in the book if you don't know the answer the question will pass over and your opponents All can good. steal the point okay uh, right so I have a Set of questions marked set A, and I have a set of questions marked set B. Who would like which one? I'll take B. Okay, we'll go A for Barry then. Now, I've tried to make the questions kind of uh, of the same level of difficulty throughout, but 
Again, they're from the book. I didn't make these questions. So, Barry, question okay. one for you. These are these are all Lisa level questions, which means question rating hard right. in all caps. Barry, who is the owner of the canine college to which the Simpsons dog is sent? Absolutely no idea. I watched that episode very, very recently, but I did not, I do not remember her name. Joe, do you know the answer? Um, oh, I think no, I don't, I don't know. Is it Barbara or something? No, the answer was Emily Winthrop. No, I never would have got Emily, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the kind of difficulty we're dealing with here, folks. Today, it's a tough one. Joe, question for you. The children of Springfield start the pirate radio show We Know All Your Secrets after watching which creepy movie? Uh, Children of the Corn? It's not Children of the Corn. It's It's inspired by Children of the Corn. Uh, Barry, do you know the answer? It's not not like... uh... It's a, uh, it, it is a fake and movie. I, I know that I can picture it as well. I can picture the movie. I can picture the scene where they're watching. It. It's like a later season, uh, but I can't remember. No, I have absolutely mm-hmm. no idea. Yeah, it 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 is it is a Children of the Corn inspired kind of movie. The movie was the called Blood The Bloodening. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Bloodening. Okay, Barry. Okay, over to you. What is the name? What is the name of the old couple who are neighbors of the Simpsons? Oh, yes, this is like season one only, I'm fairly sure. Um, oh, uh, Henderson? It's not, it's not the Hendersons. Joe, over to you. Uh, I, just, I, don't, I have no idea. Carol and Bob. <laughs> no, they're called the Winfields. I can picture them, but I don't actually think. Yeah, they it's like it's like when whole, it's, it's literally the first season only, and even then, it's like twice. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay, Joe. Question for you. The score so far is zero zero. <laughs> See if we can get one. We're hopefully going to get some points on the board here, Joe. What is the name of the woman that Homer meets who does the voices of Itchy and Scratchy? Oh, fucking hell. Um. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it is not. It is not. Barry, uh, do you no. know? Uh, no. I'm not even going to bother. No. No. The character's name is June Bellamy. Yeah, all these all these like <laughs> one-off character names are, are, are going to be a struggle. Okay. Uh, next question. When, uh, when Mo turns his bar into a restaurant, what name does he give it? Is this me? Okay. This is for Barry. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I know this one. Is it Uncle Moe's family feedback? Okay. That is correct. That's one point for Barry. That's one point. Joe, what is the name of the shopping mall built on Sabretooth Meadow? This episode was actually referenced uh, yeah. about five minutes ago. Yeah. By me, and I also cannot remember the name of the fucking thing. Uh, I don't know. Sabertooth Mall? It's not. Barry, you don't um, 
I can picture it's 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 like the head the heavenly something or something. I don't know though. Oh, you're very very close. It's the heavenly yeah, hills. Yeah, I, I, I was never gonna get the second word. Okay, score still one nil to Barry here. Uh, Barry, when Lisa has a date with Nelson, in which unlikely building do they kiss? Oh, um, um, the observatory. Oh, wow. that is correct, oh. Barry. Did you know that one, Jeff? Yeah, I was going to guess that one. Yeah, that is a point for Barry. Uh, Joe, in Lard of the Dance from season ten, yeah. what is the name of the new student Lisa shows around school? There's something kind of like Dakota or something like that. Um, Cecile. It is not Cecile, I'm afraid. What was the question again? It is season 10, so outside of the wheelhouse. In Lard of the Dance. Yeah. It is episode one of season 10 or something. What is the name of the new student Lisa shows? Oh, God. I think it was voiced by. I was actually just about to say, if the question was who voiced her, I would know that. Um, it's What's not Addison, is it? Because that is no, no, I don't know. No, it's Alex. Alex. I've actually Whitney. seen that episode. That's one of those ones that, for whatever reason, I've just seen a million times. Ah, that's annoying. Yeah. Okay, uh, Barry. Over to you. Um, how many pairs of swimming trunks does Martin Prince turn up to the Simpsons new pool wearing? <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get this like a number off and Joe's going to do the classic Joe and go one either way. Um, is it 17 <laughs> pairs? 17 yeah! pairs is exactly correct. <laughs> God damn it. I was like either 16, I was this like either 16 fair. or 17 and I'm going to be furious if I get it wrong. Sorry, Joe. Uh, Joe, over to you. Who was Springfield's sanitation commissioner before Homer won the post in an election? Uh, it was fuck, voiced by Steve yeah. Martin, I think. That 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 is also correct. It I was it. it's Ray. Yeah. Ray. Oh, that's tough. Fuck. What was it? Ray. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Ray Donahue. I'll give it to you for. I'll give you Ray. I'll give it to you. Uh, it was Ray Patterson. I don't need your pity. No, but I, I'll give you. I'll give, I don't you want the name. I don't want. No, I want zero points. Uh, next one for Barry <laughs> is uh, what? Uh, sorry, Brad and Neil are executives for what brand of nutrition? Brand? Oh, um. Uh, oh. <laughs> Uh, power sauce. Oh. Power sauce is correct. Oh. Power sauce is correct. Uh, Joe, where does Bart find Mr. Burns' lost teddy bear? Huh. Where does he find it? This is Bobo, of course. Yeah. I, I think I know this one. Where is it? Um, shit. I don't know. In the sewer? 
It's not is a, it in a bag of ice. A bag of uh, ice. Is fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, over to Barry again. Uh, Barry, whose bottom does Homer spot a piece of candy stuck to, which he grabs, sparking new stories and demonstrations? Uh, you're looking for the exact phrase in the book, right? I'm looking for the yeah, name okay, of the character. I'm going to get this. Um, you're one of those, don't call me a chick, chicks. Uh, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, <laughs> run the scene through in my head backwards. Uh, no, I have no idea. I know the character, but no. Joe, I, I don't know the name. No. You know the name. Yeah, I would. Brand. I would have been sitting here guessing for the rest of time, and I wouldn't have gotten that. Incredibly generic name character. <laughs> okay, Joe. What is the stage name of Shauna Tifton when she dances? Shauna Tifton. Shauna Tifton. Oh, I have no idea. What is her stage name when she dances? No idea? No. Um, Barry? I, um, if this is the character I'm thinking of, I don't know her real name. Um, I'm assuming it's that it's the stripper from that episode where Homer gets in trouble. It's like Princess something, but I can't remember what the second half is. Uh, Princess Cashmere? Yeah. Oh, that is correct. Oh. Now, if you had asked me what was Princess Cashmere's real name, I would have had no fucking clue. Well, the book makes up the Thank you, book. not me, I'm afraid. Okay, Barry, what sort of wild animals does Marge round up using her Canyonero? Two wild animals. What sort of wild animals? Another episode that I've definitely seen a million times. I have no recollection of it at all. Um, uh, let's take a guess. A cow and a goat? No, no. It's not a cow or a goat. Joe, do you know? Can you say it again? I missed the... Yeah. What sort of wild animals does Marge round up using her canyon arrow? Um... Round up. A bison. Oh, it's not. They were rhinos. Uh, rhinos. I think they. Did Homer fall into the rhino? Oh, yes. I don't remember. Or, or the yes, rhinos yes, yes. or something. Okay. Question for Joe What is the name of the satellite which comes free with the ultimate behemoth camper vehicle? What? Um, the, the Megatron 4000. It's not the Megatron 4000. Barry. Should, should have been. Um, no idea. No idea. No, it, it, it's quite close to a wrestling uh, name. It's apparently the Van Star 1. Oh, maybe that's where Matt Hardy got the idea. Uh, Barry, who is who is Bart and Lisa's Sunday school teacher? Oh God, um, no idea, no idea. No, you you, you would recognize that oh, character. Absolutely, absolutely, what is yeah. her name? Joe, uh, any idea? Uh, uh, Bart and Lisa's Sunday school teacher. Um, no, no, Miss Albright. Uh. 
Joe, for you, how much was the reverse charge phone call Bart made to Australia, which causes a diplomatic mm-hmm. incident? $500? It's not $500, Barry. Uh, $900 dues. That is correct. Wow. $900 dues. Barry. I could hear him saying, saying $500 dues. Yeah. But it was $900 dues. <laughs> okay. Uh, Barry, for you, what is the name of the two children who look very much <laughs> like Lisa and Bart, who prove... Who proved the U.S. Postal Service stole a cartoon from the owner of Itchy's Scratchy? Um, I know one of them. Uh, yeah, only two uh, of them, um, I'm afraid. Oh God! And the other one, I don't even have the first letter. It's so. And uh, thank you. Oh, um, Lester and Eliza. That is correct. For some reason, I was like Eliza and correct. Bert. Uh, I said, <laughs> over to Joe. Joe, what word did Bart try to get tattooed on himself in the first full length episode of The Simpsons? Mother. Mother is correct. Yes, finally. It's the correct answer. Finally. Yes. Barry, over to you. Uh, what cash prize does Bart turn down to choose the alternative prize of a real elephant? Uh, $10,000. $10,000 is correct. Joe, over to you. Uh, which tramp claims to have invented the itchy character in itchy and scratchy cartoons? Oh, fuck. What was his name? Jeez. Chester? Something? Chester, yeah. Uh, Chester. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Chester Barry. Lamp Lampwick for the steel. Chester Lampwick is the correct answer. Yeah. Chester J Lampwick, but I'll give it to you. Uh, and then this one is for uh, no. this one is for Barry. I'm losing track here. Uh, what household item have the Simpsons been saving up to buy only to spend the money twice on a saxophone for Lisa? Uh, air conditioning unit. Air conditioner is correct. And for Joe, the final question from the book. Right, here we go. In the Simpsons 138th episode spectacular, who is shown as a bald, one-eyed man? Matt Groening. Matt Groening is the correct answer. Boom. So the score as of now is eleven to Barry and two to Joe. So it's a bit of a walloping, but we have more questions to come. Okay. Same rules apply to these, so it's still all to play. Okay. As I said, these are questions that I myself came up with about a very specific Simpsons topic. It's something to do with Simpsons that each of us have seen. I would say probably about 10,000 times. So we should know it well. It's about the Simpsons episode opening. The opening of the Simpsons. The intro, you might call it. (laughs) Okay. So Barry, question one for you. 
how many separate clouds can be seen when the Simpsons logo <laughs> oh first appears? Um, six. Six is not correct, Barry. Joe? Um, I'll say seven. Oh, it was ten. Ten was the answer we were looking for. Joe? How many pieces of chalk in total are seen when Bart is writing his lines on the school blackboard? What was it? How many what? How many pieces of chalk in total are seen on screen when Bart is writing his lines on the school blackboard? Three. Three is the correct answer, Joe. Nice. Uh, he's he's writing with one, uh, with his yeah. left hand, and there are two on the little edge yeah. of the blackboard. Mm. Barry, name two of the landmarks that are visible when the town landscape is first shown. Uh, the tire fire and the nuclear power plant. Uh, that is correct. Um, although not a tire fire per tire se, yard, it's a tire yeah. yard. Yeah. They're not on fire. I, 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 yeah, I'll give, I'll give you that. Mm. You can also see a, a water tower and Springfield okay. Penitentiary. Joe, when Homer clocks off work, there is a big caution sign behind him. But underneath uh, Mr. Burns of Smithers is another sign. What does that sign say? Mm, I have no idea. Barry, any uh, idea? Give it to me one more time. When Homer clocks off work, there is a big caution sign behind him, but below Mr. Burns and Smithers, on the right-hand side of the screen, is another sign. What does that oh, sign say? Um... Oh. It's not uh, days without an accident. It's not that, is it? No, that's that's. Uh, I think that's above later their head. Episodes, yeah, later episodes. Yeah, that's I'm pretty sure. For transparency's sake, by the way, these were taken from the I Love. Yeah, this, this is the yeah, the good the good era. <laughs> Just to be clear, no idea. No, no, no idea, idea, Barry. No, it's a it's a very Father Ted esque. Be wow. careful. The thing is, now next time you guys watch The Simpsons, you're going to be noticing all of these things. Yes, uh, Barry. What magazine is Marge reading at the supermarket? Uh, I'll take a complete guess, like Mother Weekly. That's not correct. Joe, do you know? Mm, no. House Cleaner <laughs> Weekly. No, you're very, you were very close, Barry. It was Mom, Mom Monthly. Monthly. Wow. I wasn't... And it has, a, it has a cake on the front. Uh, Joe, uh, Sherry and Terry are sitting beside Lisa at the school band recital. What instrument do they play? Oh, I think... Um, I think it's the flute or is it a recorder? The flute is the correct is answer, Joe. Oh, flute. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Good. The flute, yes, the flute is the correct yeah, answer. Yeah, uh, Barry, name two... Name two of the three buildings that Bart skateboards past. Um, 
Moe's and like a television shop. I don't know the name of the other one. Yeah. That's correct. He also uh, goes past a bookstore. Yeah. Uh, Joe, name five of the people he skateboards past. Uh, Bleeding Gums Murphy. Yes. Barney. Yes. Uh, That guy that looks like him but older. Um, uh, Bleeding Gums. Chief Wiggum. Chief Wiggum is correct. That's three. Uh, Mo. That's correct. Four. Oh, one more. No. Um, I don't know. Dr. Hibbert. Not Doctor Hibbert, but four out of five. I can nearly not pass that across. I think that's that's too. Uh... That'd be harsh. Come on. Come Would you be able to name another one? Uh, uh, Barry? Uh, complete guess, but uh, Paddy and or Selma. No, you have uh, ah. Helen Lovejoy, mm. a poo, a poo who's walking a dog. You never I see think that he's dog. Even later in seasons, I think. I think he's uh, there. And Jacques, ah, Jacques from yes, the very yeah. early episodes. Uh, he goes by all of those people. Uh, Barry, what color is the Simpsons mailbox? Oh, is it blue? It's it's yeah, it's a yeah, it's a dark yeah. blue. So I, I'll get. I was. It's almost like navy. But I'll give that to you. Uh, Joe, name two of the things visible in the Simpsons garage. Oh, uh, a bicycle. That is correct. And um, I don't know if it's in there. Is it the giant head thing? No, you cannot see the giant head. I think this episode might have been from before the giant head. Oh, really? Okay. I think they added that in. Um, Possibly. Again, this is from season four. That this intro that I watched specifically. I'll give you another another because okay. it's very possible that, that that was added later okay, on. Okay, okay. Um, so bicycle and oh, a, a paint can. Uh, I would need to look again. I I didn't list the paint can on mine. Uh, okay. you can see a a rake, a saw, and a plastic bin. Very possible that there's a paint can in there. There's there's some stuff that's kind of hard to yeah. discern what it is. Uh, Barry, this episode had the couch gag with the yes. big dancing number where the like background lifts away. In what order do the Simpsons stand when they start to dance, from left to right? <laughs> um. Uh. Lisa, Homer, Marge, Maggie, Bart. Okay. That is not correct. Joe, do you want to have a go? Sorry, what was it again? What order? In what order from left to right do they stand when they begin to dance? Uh, Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa. Maggie. No, there's also another child in the family. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, Maggie. <laughs> Maggie. No, it's Homer, Bart, Maggie, Lisa, Marge. They have the, the, the um, parents on either end and Maggie in the middle. Um, Joe, can you name three of the other non-dancing acts that appear? Sorry, say that again? Non- 
So the Simpsons are dancing and some dancers come on and dance. Yeah, with yeah, them. yeah. There's loads of stuff going on in the background. Can you name three of the other acts that appear? Uh, Jesus. Um... Now you must have seen this intro one thousand times. <laughs> um, like a uh, man on a unicycle. Yeah, there are men on unicycles. Men on... They're 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 juggling. I will give you that one. Yeah, unicycle jugglers. Um, an elephant. There are two. El- there's elephants doing handstands. Oh, That's just, correct. I, I was only talking about the one elephant. The one <laughs> okay, well, there's another one as well. Okay, the other elephant. Um, and the chorus line, like the girls dancing with the legs. Yeah, but not counting the girls dancing. Oh, you said. Oh, Jesus Christ. I said non-dancing acts. Oh, non-dancing acts. Well, the elephants are dancing, aren't they? Fucking hell. They're they're doing handstands. That's not really. Awesome. It kind of, kind of does. Uh, and there's like. Ah, oh, there's a, like a f- something f- with fire or something like a a ring of fire act. That's correct. There's yeah. a dog jumping through a fire hoop. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's a point for you, Joe. There are also fire breathers, magicians pulling rabbits out of hats, mm-hmm. uh, trapeze artists. Another another tidbit from the book okay. is that that gag only exists because they were short a couple of seconds on the the episode on which it debuted. Um, so they, they elongated that, which is also the entire reason the fucking Sideshow Bob rake bit exists. And the reason why it's so long, because they did it to add a couple of seconds and it was still too short, so they elongated it further. One of the greatest jokes the show has ever done. Okay, so the final score of our inaugural Simpsons quiz, at least in, until someone else brings a Simpsons quiz book out that we can use, is uh, Joe with six points. Of admittedly a very hard quiz, yeah. uh, but our winner this week is Barry Murphy with fourteen points. I, my 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 quiz victories on this show are rare, and my ones that impressive are even rarer. So I'm I'm quite glad. Thank you very much, Paul, for that quiz, and and, and well done, Joe. That was a tough. That was tough. I think I did get some. I think I got Sorry. some. Uh, I, I, the questions were fairly even across the board. I think I got some some easier ones. So so no no shame on Joe there. Um, right, that wraps up your designated Simpsons hour um, of, of the podcast. <laughs> so we can we can uh, chug along here into game guff. Um, I haven't actually played a whole mm-hmm. lot this week. Um, I played something new on the old VR gimmick. I played Beat Saber, uh, which is kind of one of the another another one of the the big kind of you know on almost all the VR systems very fondly regarded. It's basically a rhythm game where your each hand corresponds to a lightsaber esque gimmick, and then as if you're playing Dance Dance Revolution, these boxes with arrows on them start coming towards you, and you have to swing in the direction. Um, uh, designated on the box, uh, and you're doing it in time with music, and so it's it's you know in theory, look if it wasn't in VR, it's a very basic rhythm action game where you're just tapping directions in time with the music. But the gimmick obviously is that you are very enthusiastically striking them with what is basically a lightsaber, and it is great. It's 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 um, it it kind of feels like exactly what you want VR to be, which is it's really 
taking you in and really making you feel like one with the game. Like I, I, I found myself kind of jigging on the spot in tune with the music as I swing my, as I flail my arms around. This is probably a great one to just, if someone could be in the room with me, videoing me, making a fool of myself while I'm playing with it. But um, really it, it looks great. It feels very satisfying to be smashing things in time with the music. Um, it's challenging. Uh, really, really enjoy it. It's a bit pricey, 30 quid, but then again, everything on the, on the VR stuff kind of is, um, so yeah, really, really enjoying that. Uh, my only, my only criticism is that, uh, there's not a lot of songs in it and they are mostly not that good, which is kind of important for a rhythm game. Um, I think it kind of speaks to, it was some kind of little humble indie project that has since gone on to be very successful. They have DLC packs out where it's like you can buy, uh, Timbaland songs and Green Day songs and, uh, Panic at the Disco songs but all the stuff that's on the base game is really generic. It almost sounds royalty free. Uh, uh, like, like here's music you can use in the background of your YouTube video. Like that's kind of the quality of music in the base game. Um, but yeah, really, really fun. Still having fun with the old VR thing. And uh, that's kind of been it. No other, no other games this week. I haven't touched Gears Tactics in a couple of days. But uh, yeah, that's that. How about you, Paul? Right, well, I've been playing... Uh, well, I finished Breath of the Wild yeah. uh, DLC. Completed that shit. I'm never going to play that game again. Um, the DLC the DLC was, uh, was okay. If a little short and a little bereft of story, which is kind of what I wanted that DLC to be. Um, the final boss was good fun. I'll say that much. And it was nice to have a few... A few uh, few extra shrines. The shrines were fun as well. I didn't find any of them that difficult, though. It, was, it wasn't so much of a challenge. It was kind of a, a fairly handy DLC. Um, but yeah, I think I put uh, all in all another 60 hours into Breath of the Wild. Nice. Um, on top of my original 105. I'm absolutely done with that game now. Okay. Very, very much enjoyed it, but I, I'm ready for the sequel to come out. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to revisit that game anytime soon. Um, so from there, I've started playing another Zelda game. You'll be surprised to hear. Uh, I started playing Oracle of Seasons for the first time. Uh, it's a Game Boy Color game. I was about to say, what is that? Yeah. It's a, a, a Game Boy Color game, which was developed by Capcom, uh, and published by Nintendo, which came out in 2001, uh, on the Game Boy Color. I... Never owned them on Game Boy Color. I bought them digitally on the Nintendo 3DS. So I'm playing it on my on my 3DS now. It's It feels very like Link's Awakening. Um, obviously because they're Game Boy games, but even kind of the tone of it is very similar to Link's Awakening. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm on the third dungeon out of, I think, eight. So I'm under halfway through, but uh, really enjoying it. I, I do like those Capcom, because Capcom also developed Minish Cap. I like those Capcom Zelda games. I think they have a different kind of feel to them, but definitely one that I, I really like. Um, but with the 3DS, I find with my hands, I can only um, hold the 3DS for so long because I, um, I have a 3DS XL. So it is quite heavy, but it's also quite wide and quite long. So I find if I hold it for too long, my hands start to hurt a little bit. So I can't put the hours into it like I was with... Um, Breath of the Wild on the Switch. So I started playing another game 
a non-Zelda game um, to be my kind of TV game, I started playing the original Paper Mario again. Mm. The Nintendo, the Nintendo sixty four Paper Mario. Yeah. Um, because the new one is coming out next month. I have pre ordered already. Um, and I think that original Paper Mario is only about twenty hours long. So I figured I haven't visited that game in a while. I don't think I've replayed it since I beat it for the first time when it came out. Uh, and I really like those games. Um, they're they're very funny. Uh, the kind of JRPG style to it isn't too over overly done or in, in your face because I don't really get on with JRPGs that much. Um, there's not too much in the way of random battles or anything like that. And the uh, the turn-based battles are quite simple. And yeah, it's it's got, it's kind of a sarcastic, cheeky version of the Mario universe. I I, I really like it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm playing that. I'm still very, very early into it. Probably an hour, I think, into it. Um, but it's great. Um, what uh, have, Did you watch, Barry, the PlayStation 5 reveal video? I did, yes. Um, so, outside, like, I think there were, there were really only four games that caught my eye at all. And they were um, Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. Which absolutely signed me up for more Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> that last game was so fucking good. And that new one looks in- tremendous. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. Even if it turns out to be kind of a standalone mini game, uh, yeah. game not a mini game but a mini a game. side side thing yeah i'm all right with that i'm yeah. okay with that you know a 30 euro six hour that's fine for me hmm. um of course based on what my game of the decade was hitman 3 is coming uh, and i will say of all the games that was the only one that elicited a kind of Yes! From me, with like a, a fist pump. Very, very happy about Hitman 3. And then Horizon, which we kind of figured was coming. But yeah. uh, there wasn't anything else apart from... Like, what a greedy thing to say. Apart from those four games that I can't wait to play, there was nothing on the fucking thing. Um, there was a good 45 minutes, though, where I was really bored in the middle. It, it, it was shockingly long, wasn't it? Um Especially because it, it, this is it's kind of very, uh, very hypocritical because this is often a thing that's made fun of. But this was obviously like in lieu of an E3 presentation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and I know they did have talking heads from Sony, but it did just feel like trailer, 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 trailer for two hours. And it was quite draining. And you almost kind of missed Sean Layton being out there saying, and we're really... Uh, Quite excited about this, you know. You, know, <laughs> you, you kind of yeah. you kind of miss that shite, you know. And obviously, they lost the run of themselves. That what remember what was that one year where they had people in like one building for a trailer for Last of Us Two, and then another building yeah. for like that. They obviously completely went too far in that direction. But this was kind of just. I remember I was listening just earlier today to um uh, the Giant Beast cast, and they were recapping it, and they were talking about, it, and they were struggling, and even as they were remembering things, I was going, oh yeah, that was there because it was just an onslaught and it was hard to take on anything beyond just horizon and hitman um but i think looking back on it i do think a lot of the indie stuff looks very eclectic 
it looked very um, creative. It looked nice and diverse. It was nice to have an E3-ish presentation that was not just Cars and Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed. And, you know, it was it was a couple of heavy hitters from Sony's own wheelhouse and then tons of indie stuff. Um but yeah, it was a bit it was a bit much at once. And then for this to be the middle of June and to have a two hour presentation that did not give the price, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. I know. It. I love that we still live in a world in in twenty twenty where so much stock is put into how the box that plays your games looks. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's it's absolutely hideous. Uh, first of all, I think it's hideous looking. <laughs> I'll still buy it, and I'll still that'll still uh, that'll still be my console of choice over the the far sleeker and far sexier Xbox uh, Series X. Absolutely, I'm um, Yeah, but uh, God, it's so it's it looks like you know um, in the late 2010s when you would see fake fake Facebook uh, Facebook pages with like PS4 revealed, and it'd be like made of glass that's what this looks like one of those old fake uh snopes.com is this the ps4 uh, yeah articles. totally yeah um i think the xbox is a far better looking console but there's there's nothing on xbox i want to play <laughs> all I, the exclusives are on playstation and so that's what's going to keep me uh brand loyal i think as well i think if if to me, the thing that just kills the aesthetic is the wings on top. Like if if it was just smooth and the color scheme and the the you know the essentially the taco look, where it's like this white shell and this like black interior. And if if that was just sleek and smooth, I think it would still be a bit stupid. But I could make my peace with it. But it's it's the it's the fins. It's the it's the bits that jut out at the top. Yeah, it's like as you say, it's a, 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 it's weirdly big as well. Um... Yeah, both these both these machines look fucking massive. The Xbox as well. I mean, the two of them just look absolutely huge. Because I'm looking at my, you know, my little entertainment unit here. I don't think the PlayStation Five would fit in one of my little squares. I have, um, like, I have my PS4 Pro, uh, horizontal, like down flat. It's not standing up on its side, down flat. And I would say there's probably two inches of wiggle room uh, combined on the sides. So I only have two inches more than a PS4 Pro of space to go into my unit, you know? And it looks like it's more than two inches bigger than the PS4 Pro. So it's not going to fit. It won't fit. It's too big. And I like generally all my consoles to be kind of stackable. Like I have here in front of me a few consoles which are all kind of not not rectangular but they're kind of that that general shape even even the super nintendo when it doesn't have a a um and i'm talking about not not the us super nintendo but the the european and japanese super nintendo model when it doesn't have a game in it it can easily have another console on top of it i have my nintendo 64 currently on top of the super nintendo hmm. um and they're all they're all kind of stackable in that way, but the PlayStation Five is this weird shape that it, it looks like it's not going to sit easily on top of another console, nor will it be easy to put another console on top of it. So it just seems like a logistical nightmare to actually have it set up and connected to your TV. 
Yeah. I I I I was thinking like I'll probably have to get rid of the PS4. Um uh, I am quite limited on space here. But that kind of brings me to the next question I have on this thing, which is it doesn't seem like they're going to have backwards compatibility. They didn't say one way or the other. Um but it doesn't seem like they do because they announced GTA 5 is coming in 2021. Again, that's 7-year-old game. First of all, yeah, they're they're porting a PS3 game, and they they led off with that, which I couldn't fucking believe. Oh, I know. I said the balls of these people, the absolute balls. But also, like, I guess they know. I I suppose they didn't say it in any official capacity, but I feel like the unofficial word was that it was going to be. So, is my am I not going to be able to play my PS4 version of GTA Five on this machine? Because they also announced Control, the Remedy game. Uh, this wasn't on the stream, but they announced this on Twitter themselves. That, that that control is coming to PS5 as well, and I'm like, well, so but so I can't put my maybe now maybe it's a case of if you have if you own a version of it, you know whatever. But I I don't know. It's it's there was a surprising lack of information other than the the aesthetics of the box, the amount of actual features announced for this thing were surprisingly yeah. lacking. Um, other than and so, Sony historically haven't been that uh, kind to their consumers. Let's say no. No, um, and the other the other weird thing was I suppose the biggest actual announcement regarding the hardware, other than what it looks like, is that they're going to do a disc free version. So that's mm. that's interesting and that's forward thinking and that's cool and I could be tempted by that. But but how do you show that and not compare the price of the two? Because surely the whole point of having a version that doesn't have a drive is that you can say, look, here's our thing. It's fucking 700 quid or whatever it's going to end up being. It's going to be expensive. I know that much. And saying to people, look, if you want to be a, a nice forward-thinking disc-free person, here's a version that's 100 quid cheaper or whatever they do. But um, then it might not be cheaper if the digital version would have a bigger hard drive. For Like, it might be that the disc version might have a reduced hard drive space. Um, so it's difficult to know because there's not... Those details haven't come out yet. Yeah, we're very, we're very up in the air. We really are. Um, so yeah, in that regard, it was kind of not great. Like uh, on the one hand, I can understand not wanting you know the release date and the price and the box all at one time. Okay, maybe you don't you don't necessarily get them all at once usually, but also you usually know one or more of them before June anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, but as a, as a series of games, I thought it was cool, but I still remain very curious as to what. I mean, like yourself, I'm probably going to get it. I'm going to have it. Maybe not day launch. Maybe not launch day, but just by virtue of the fact that I'll want to play the next generation of games and all the exclusives I want are on PS4, but yeah. What did you make of the Last of Us 2 reviews that came out this week? Um, Because you are, of all the people I know, you are the Last of Us guy. Right, and I remember... I think I actually... And I I ended up being correct. Um, I said like a week or two ago (laughs) that... I was really fascinated to see what the reviews were like because maybe they'll be terrible, but even if they're glowing, the actual interesting conversation about what the game is actually like is not going to happen until a few weeks later just by the nature of what video game reviews are. And I feel like I was very much vindicated by that because the majority of the writing about it was just really breathless, really effusive, and the same thing they did with the first game, which is, oh my God, it's like a TV show. It's like a movie. Oh my God, games are legitimate now. And I'm like, that is such a 
that is such a I don't even know how to describe how frustrating that framing device. If you write about games for a living and you, your metric of whether or not something is good is still how it compares to a film, I feel like all you're all you're going to do is is just agitate people. And sure enough, that's what's happened. I mean, I feel like there's now a, a kind of conversation around that game stemming from the reviews that don't even really have anything to do with the game itself. Um, yeah. Uh, but from 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 doing a deep dive, I mean, I read an awful lot of the reviews because, first of all, I, I remember reading quite a few of them and just just from the first couple of paragraphs, you're like, all right, you you are the most typical game reviewer ever. I, I don't need to get you know you're 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 not offering. I need I need some substance. Do you know what I mean? I don't need you to gush about how how it's like a film and oh my god, the great, greatest graphics I've ever seen. Like I know that like, that's what you expect from Naughty Dog. But there was yeah. a lot. Well, I knew in particular. I I I thought. When I saw that Jonathan, I don't have a go at him, but I, I when I saw that Jonathan Dornbush was reviewing for IGN, I, I mean that was the easiest prediction of a game getting a ten, I think, in history. Yeah, and um, also not just the scores, but also just the content of the reviews. Like, like yourself, I don't want to single people yeah. out, but well, he's I, I he's mean, he's infamously the person who said that playing Spider Man made him truly feel like Spider Man. That's the point of the game. And also, like, most people got that feeling with the PS1 game. Come on, man. If like, I felt like Batman, that would be a problem. And it, and it was like, uh, when I was reading the, the Game Informer review, which was written by their editor, which was kind of an indictment. Um, I mean, he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard him on podcasts, but it was just every kind of... With AAA games, you can almost write the review yourself before you read it. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. it's just... And especially with Naughty Dog. Um so yeah, but I did I did find like I thought I actually was I'm sharing them on Twitter because I thought like the, here are some reviews that I think are actually interesting and well written. GameSpot of all websites, I actually thought had a very very interesting uh, review. Paste Magazine had one. The uh, weirdly enough, I thought some of the more negative reviews were some of the more interesting ones, just because I felt like they were engaging a little bit more. And of course, all of this is without having played it. So I can't. So I guess that'll be another lens to relook at those reviews in a week's time. But um, yeah, every time there's a big release, not not even just Naughty Dog, every time there's a big release, it's kind of just a reminder that, that we're really lacking really great criticism in games. Um, uh, and you do kind of have to go digging to find it. Uh, because a lot of the, the mains... The, the, and I was, I was disappointed. It's not really their wheelhouse. I, I always really enjoy Giant Bomb's written reviews, but they, that's not their thing. They, they do like one or two a year, and so they didn't have one for this. And I was like, eh, I, that would have been some much-needed uh, strong writing uh, in the midst of, of a lot of wash, wishy-washy stuff. But um, yeah, nonetheless, I'm very, very excited about it, obviously. Um, uh, yeah. Because there was a, a great number of reviews. There was some really interesting reviews from like um, The Verge and, and Pace that I mentioned as well that were like people saying, you know, I didn't even like the first one and this is one of my favorite games of the year, blah, 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 or the generation. And I was like, that's interesting. It seems, it, is, it does seem to have struck a chord with people who didn't even necessarily like the first one, which which um, is, is an interesting lens to look at it through. But um yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll know for myself. Well, I was about to say I'll know for myself in a week's time. I won't because it sounds like the longest Naughty Dog game they've ever made. Um, <laughs> what did you think of like... 28 hours, I think yeah, I heard. 25 to 30, yeah. And it's kind of like, like, what did you think of like Uncharted 4 compared to 2 in terms of the length? Because they have definitely been getting longer basically with every release. Um, Uncharted 4, I don't think I had as much of a problem with, but... um. Even even Lost uh, Legacy had it was that the one that had the bit where there was just arbitrary 
like a big open area to explore, which was yeah. never the point of those games. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that direction they were going in. And especially when it comes to Last of Us, like when I played the first one, I found it. I, I did like it a lot, but I found it kind of a grueling experience. And and I mean, I think I tweeted like a slog, but I, I didn't necessarily mean like a slog. I meant more like it was it was I'd be exhausted after playing it for 45 minutes. It wasn't right. a game that I could sit down and play for hours and hours and hours. And then when I heard that this one is like even more grueling and twice as long, I was like that for me right now is not a game for me. I'm not in the mood for that kind of game. Right. Um, so I'd be interested to hear your take on it. Um, I'm sure I'll come. You know, I, I've, I've played all the Naughty Dog games since uh, since the first Uncharted. So I'm sure I will come to it eventually. But uh, I don't know. It just seems like the longer those games tend to be, the less they hold my attention. Yeah. And yeah, when I heard that it was longer and when I heard that it was even more emotionally draining and even mm. more grueling and this and all the stuff I heard about, I was like, these are not positives for me to to run out and grab this game. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially the era it's releasing in. I don't feel like 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 this. Is, this is my kind of genre. Although I, you know, I, I do like, a, a you know, um, uh, a, a darker and more, more even in really shitty times. To, to me, it's still a form of escapism. That's fine, but I can completely yeah, yeah. understand how it's absolutely not everyone else's. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a, it's a, it's it's releasing at a at a very uh, poor time, I would say. But um, yeah, uh, well, that might have been to do with why it was originally um, delayed. I I don't think so much for me. There's a problem with when it's coming out. It's just the kind of game that it is pure yeah. and simple and uh i don't know that might be one that I, I would need to take a week off work to play or something because i can see myself especially towards the end of the first one like do you remember that not spoil anything but that that last kind of section of the first one yeah where, where the game goes from a, a survival horror with kind of stealth elements and to like you're being shot out by 50 people. Yeah, and yeah. Like, you, you've got an assault This right. isn't the game I signed up for. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally, yeah. Uh, so it's that kind of... Those kind of memories that flood back to me where, where I, I'm thinking, like, do I want to play this game right now? And I think I'm more in a Paper Mario mood than <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll... Uh, uh report back on that there. Uh, uh, next. Yeah, I suppose I'll be, I'll be knee-deep in it next week, I guess. Uh, when we yeah. do this show, so um, yeah. Uh, anything else on the old PlayStation Five before we move along? No, I think we've done a, a good little deep dive on that for people who like video games. Absolutely. Uh, talk. We've got some movies that we can chat about. Um, uh, I saw two movies this week. I'll quickly run through them. I saw The Visit which is an M. Night Shyamalan film I had never even heard of before I decided really? to watch it. Really? I've, I've, I've reviewed it on this podcast. Well, <laughs> no, we, you've reviewed a lot of films on this podcast. Yeah, and you listen to all my reviews, clearly. I do, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's funny, I did think of you when I was watching it because I was like, Paul is like one of two people I know who has watched, I think almost all, you've watched all of his movies, have you? Not all of them, but yeah, but you, you you've you've watched a great many of them and talked about them on the show. I had no recollection of this, um, and also it's not even that old as well. It's only a couple of years ago, like. But I did not remember um, 
at seeing a trailer and knowing a cast member. Anyway, I watched it and um, I thought it was mostly kind of fairly boring. Uh, I'm really over the found footage thing, but I didn't think it was actively bad. And I thought the twist and the final act were actually kind of good. Um, but uh, hard, hard to recommend going out of your way to watch it because I just feel like a found footage movie is just, unless you're going to be really, really, really committed to the realism, which this film isn't, uh, it, doing it these days, it's just it's like almost an instant turn off to me. So I didn't get much out of it. Yeah. Uh, well, that film was kind of seen as a, a bit of a resurgence for Shyamalan prior yeah. to Glass and Split. Um, I think it came out around the same time as Split, maybe just before or just after. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, like you, I didn't think it was that good. Um, in particular, there's a bit where um, poo gets smeared on someone's face and it's not as funny as it sounds. Well, yeah, it's kind of played dead straight. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I knew about that bit going into it, and so I, I was anticipating it being kind of hilarious. And it, it, yeah, it was, it wasn't as hilarious as it should have been. I should have been laughing my ass off. Uh, me and um, my girlfriend had a, a conversation about whether or not. Uh, so, so when that scene, I guess we're spoiling it, but who cares? It's, we're, none of us are recommending this movie anyway, so who cares? I think I gave it a four out of ten or something. Yeah, I gave it. I think yeah, I think I gave it two stars on the old letterbox, so that's fair enough. It's like yeah, so the old man takes off what is I guess an adult nappy and rubs it in someone's face, and I went to my girlfriend and I was like, there, there was an earlier scene where you see that pile of of I guess what are nappies, but I said I thought they were giant maxi pads um because they had blood on them so i thought they were like gigantic uh menstrual uh sanitary products but anyway i don't know why i felt the need to mention that anyway um what's the point of the story i like stories <laughs> uh, the other film i saw was much better um i saw attack the block uh which was on all four i assume it was on channel four at some point over the last uh, month uh, that is the John Boyega uh, sci-fi action comedy thing. Basically about uh, a bunch of lads in the ends, you know, a, uh, a South London hood. Uh, and they are, you know, going around being yobs, mugging ladies. And then out of nowhere, ostensibly an alien invasion happens. And uh, they have to fight off the aliens. That is basically the entirety of it. And it's really good, really fun. Um, uh uh, a fun idea, well executed. Um, some some cool looking monsters. Uh, one of those kind of charming films where you can kind of tell the budget was not massive. Uh, it was not some. It is not some blockbuster uh, uh, sci-fi epic. Uh, that kind of makes it all the better. Uh, really enjoyable. Yeah. John Boyega, John Boyega, very very good in it. Uh, I think this is probably the earliest role. I'd never really heard of him before Star Wars, and I don't think I'd yeah. see. And I. To this point, I don't think other than this, I don't think I've seen any of his other stuff. So this is probably the earliest film of his I've seen. It was in Pacific Rim Uprising. I did not see that movie. Um, it was rubbish. Yeah, I heard everyone say it was rubbish, and I didn't even like the first one, which everyone said was good, so I didn't bother. Um, it's, the first one's really good. The uh, yeah, so Attack the Block, good fun. Uh, enjoyed that. If you like, uh, if you like your uh, your kind of cult sci-fi uh, type things, it's a nice. It's it's a nice one. Uh, and that's that's been my films this week. Do you want to go, Joe? Yeah, just uh, the one film. Um, I watched a documentary. It's the second documentary produced by uh, Michelle and Barack Obama's uh, production company. Um, it's called Crip Camp. Um, it's about a uh, 
uh, summer camp for disabled teenagers in the I think it's the 60s. Um, kind of self-mockingly called Crip Camp, as in Cripple Camp. Um, but it kind of it shows a lot of kind of archive footage of these kids at this camp back in the 60s and actually obviously a very, very different time for disabled people. I mean, as, as bad as it still is for those people with disabilities now, obviously the 60s was horrendous. There was no disabled access. There was no sense of equality. Um, so the camp was somewhere where they could all go and kind of everyone was, you know, a person with a disability and could kind of feel sort of on equal ground and be themselves and do things they wouldn't normally be allowed to do in, in the normal school. So it kind of starts off by showing that footage and then starts to get into kind of what happens sort of in later years once these kids start to get older and some of them start to get involved in campaigning and politics and the civil rights movement and try to uh, you know, seek equality for uh, those with disabilities. And it's a really kind of interesting film um, that, that kind of shows that battle, which I think um, is sometimes lost. You know, I think we know a lot about the kind of black civil rights and about, you know, fights for gay rights, but for, for disabled people, it was, it was kind of just as much of a struggle. Um, yeah, and it kind of takes us right up to the current day and the continuing kind of... Um, battles they made to, to uh, change legislation and, and the fights they had to make. So a really, really interesting documentary and very kind of educational. So I definitely recommend that. It's on Netflix, uh, Crip Camp. Check it out. Hmm. Very good. Uh, I watched only the one movie this week. Uh, a little, a movie by a little independent uh, film company called Disney, I think it's pronounced. Ah. Uh, a movie from 1996 called The Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, which I had seen when I was a, a wee kid. I don't remember if I saw it in the cinema or if I rented it out on VHS. But I saw it when I was very young. And I remember not being super impressed by it. I remember it being uh, one of those latter 90s, not as good Disney films. Oh, you know, not not up with the the Lion Kings and Aladdins and Little Mermaids of the world. Uh, and in fact, I checked my letterboxd.com and I'd given it a five out of ten. That was the score. Now that was purely from memory. I hadn't revisited the film in a very long time. So we stuck it up on Disney Plus. Now let me tell you, not since I rewatched X Men. Have I come around on a film to the point wow. where I can say I can say out and out I was wrong? Um, let me tell you, Hunchback of Notre Dame is possibly the underrated Disney film. Oh. Um, I let, let me just say it's gone from a five to a nine on Letterboxd. Now that doesn't happen too often. Um. It's got a, a, an absolute banger of a soundtrack. P- probably the best Disney soundtrack. I'm, go- I'm going to say the best one. Wow, um, okay. It, it comes off a lot more like reading up on it. This movie has a reputation for being a bit more adult than your typical Disney movie. And yeah. that, um, that goes through the story of the characters, but also to the music. Like the songs have a kind of proper operatic complexity to them that other movies don't like the songs aren't very show tuney 
they're like something you would see in Les Miserables. It's it's that kind of um, sound to it. So it's got often lots of different characters singing in a kind of one day more interspersed way. Um, the characters have proper m- complex motivations, which you also don't have. Like um, the the main villain is called uh, Frollo. I don't remember his first name. What's the first name? Matthew? Oh, his name is Frollo, but he was a judge. He's a judge, but Judge Frollo, okay. He's like the villain, and he's this, like, very religious to the point of, like, piety. He's like a pious man who's, like, corrupt, but he'll never cross the line of going against his religion, right? So the story starts with little Quasimodo is is the son of this gypsy woman. He's he's very anti-gypsy, like it's almost anti anti-immigrant or whatever. Mm. And he he sees that he they basically ambush the gypsies as they as they come off their boat up the Seine. And he says, "Oh, this woman has a bundle in her arms. It must be something stolen. Chase her down." And he chases her down to the steps of the Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, kicks her off. She she hits her head and dies right there on the the steps of the cathedral. And he looks and it's this you know, um, in his words, this deformed demonic child. And he's gonna throw it down. He sees a well. He's gonna throw it down the well like right away. You're like this is a fucking dark Disney movie we're watching here. And the archdeacon comes out and says, "You you should take the child and adopt it because you've committed this crime under the eyes of Notre Dame." And you look up and he sees the, the statues looking down at him. And it's it's like that's the only thing that is convincing him to do it is he's he's afraid of how he's seen, not only by society, but in the eyes of God, in the eyes of religion. Yeah. And then later on he becomes kind of infatuated with Esmeralda. And that also has kind of an internal conflict within him where, you know, carnally he sees this woman. But he has also his his very being is defined by his religion and his his adherence to the rules of the religion, how he's seen again by society, by the religion. So it's often it's a little bit more complex than your typical Disney movie. Um, there's one scene early on where, you know, like nine out of ten Disney movies have this one scene where the young hero, I want to escape this place and go out on my own. This movie has that as well, where Quasimodo is. He's been stuck in the um, stuck in the uh, tower basically his whole life, and he wants there's this festival. He wants to go down and visit the festival. Now, usually, what will happen, and I'll use Tangled as the example here. Usually, what will happen is the villain will lie to the hero for their own benefit. So the the mother in Tangled doesn't want Rapunzel to leave the tower because she uses Rapunzel's hair to keep young or whatever, right? Here, though, the villain tells Quasimodo, look, Quasimodo, if you go down to the festival, people are going to look at you and they're going to point at you and because you are ugly, sorry, I just dropped my mic, uh, they're going to be revolted by you, they're going to be repulsed by you and they're not going to treat you the same. Quasimodo goes down to the festival and that's exactly what happens. Hmm. You know? So... The villain is is still trying to, you know, have his own way because he doesn't want to be associated with Quasimodo. He doesn't want people to see Quasimodo, so he wants Quasimodo to stay up there. But he doesn't lie to him to uh, to keep him there. He he tells him what will happen. Quasimodo then 
leaves and that's exactly what happens you know and then the villain's kind of using that to his advantage and so as i'm watching the movie there's a lot of clever stuff that you wouldn't usually see in this kind of movie it's it's really obviously it's inspired by um uh, a victor hugo book who's the same person who wrote les miserables which was a lot of similarities there but um yeah, it's, I was surprised by how strong the music was, how strong the story was, and the character dynamics and character motivations really surprised me as well. That being said, um, one thing I did remember about it from my childhood is there's like the cartoon gargoyles who are like his friends. Not funny in the slightest. Um, Jason Alexander from uh, Seinfeld plays one of them. Rubbish. Not good at all. Hmm. Um and in a sense, when the movie tries to be more of a kiddie movie, that's when it's at its weakest. Uh, luckily, that's not much of the film. Um, and the film, otherwise, I thought was really, really strong. So I would, I, I kind of went from, uh, will we watch a movie, Hunchback? Yeah, I've seen it. We watch it again. To like, Jesus, that film was really fucking good. <laughs> so yeah, a surprise. Like I would definitely include it in the. The kind of '90s Disney Renaissance. I would include it with those other films. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely would recommend. Even like, you know, the Lion King has that iconic uh, opening with Circle of Life. The first five minutes of Hunchback of Notre Dame is also this this song, um, and I think I think it's equally as as good. It's right up there. It, it sets the scene really well. It sets the tone of the movie. It has this really um layered monastic choir which gives it a kind of uh like it, it takes place in the 1840s but it, it does have that kind of reli- quasi religious medieval kind of sound to it and it's um it's great it's really great yeah i, I must i must kind of add that to the list cuz i have not seen that since i was very very young um so yeah uh, we'll jump in quickly here to the wrestling stuff uh, before we wrap up here. So the big news of the week was the departure of Paul Heyman. Well, in in a in a uh, creative slash executive capacity from WWE, and now Bruce Pritchard is running everything uh, on both Raw and SmackDown. So uh, another another shuffle there. Uh, and it kind of seems like one year ago when Heyman and Bischoff were announced, uh, you, you know, a year later, it seems like uh, nothing, nothing majorly positive came from either of those hires. Bischoff, obviously, but now Heyman as well. I mean, it's it's kind of ironic that one of the criticisms of WWE is that, like, there's there's no distinguishable voices from any either of the shows, like Raw and SmackDown are absolutely interchangeable and undistinguishable from one another apart mm-hmm. from the color scheme uh and even from character to character everybody talks the same everybody sounds the same and having one person in charge of both shows is only going to uh worsen that problem you know yeah. uh, and even nxt which used to have a very distinct feel i don't watch much anymore but what i see just feels like ron smackdown yeah, I don't think. I mean, none of us are surprised. This this was inevitable from the day it happened. Really, it was going to go at some point. I just think that it's just looking at Raw. Whenever I I don't obviously I don't watch it. I don't really 
look at the news or anything, but whenever I do see the kind of match lineups or like the main event of Raw, it's like Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre or like some other mid-carder versus... And I'm always just so shocked at the lack of star power that's left in WWE. When you take out Brock, Ronda, uh, Becky, Roman, there's just nothing yeah. there. It's like, at least in 95, you had like Sean, Brett, Undertaker, Sid, you know, Diesel. You don't even have that now. I mean, to play devil's advocate, you have to build the people up. You know, you have to put them in the main event to get them to that level. But um, like Lashley, Lashley's been around whether it's WWE or, or impact or whatever for the better part of 15 years you know um mcintyre mm. to an extent like mcintyre has only really recently kind of jumped up to the the upper mid card whereas lashley seems to be at exactly the same level he was 15 years ago um but yeah it's it's true especially for people who are who are lapsed uh fans when you come back and you see who's who's in the main event oh lashley and McIntyre, you're going, those, those guys were fucking nobody before. Um, and there's something that I noted watching Dynamite this week is that, or I don't remember, maybe I said this on podcast podcast last week, but uh, one thing I noticed about Dynamite is it has that old attitude era thing that people always say is that everyone from, from the top of Dynamite to the opening match on Dynamite, everybody has their little story. Everybody feels like they have something going on. They have distinct characters and distinct voices. Yeah. And that's not something you can say about Raw Smackdown, unfortunately, at the moment. Apart no. from maybe Otis. Otis is maybe the only character who sounds any way different <laughs> than anybody else. Because he's a, a big fat hillbilly or whatever. Yeah, everybody else, it's just guttural, uh, just... <laughs> oh, yeah! Um, yeah, so... Heyman, I, I think, ultimately didn't have the impact a lot of people would have liked. Maybe he did. I mean, maybe, you know, people like McIntyre, people like Lashley maybe wouldn't have been pushed up to the top yeah. were he not in charge. But then who would have been? Like, would you rather have new faces like that who maybe aren't quite at that level, but who are at least fresh? Or for it to be uh, Roman Reigns against, you know, Seth Rollins at the top, yeah. as it always is. Or, you know, the equivalent. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just kind of disappointing that whenever there's a shuffle like this, it's always someone like fucking Bruce Pritchard getting picking up the the, the slack. It's like they just wrote like, and I think I think we probably we probably said this exact same thing a year ago when they announced Bischoff and Heyman. It's like it's just a revolving door of the same collection of people over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see what Pritchard does um, at the helm of these two shows. See if he can win us back, boys. We'll we'll be watching Raw and SmackDown in no time. Uh, <laughs> uh, did, did anyone watch In Your House? I did not watch one second of it. No. 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 Okay, that's great. That's off the list then. <laughs> uh, Paul, the newest part of that Undertaker thing went up today. Have you watched it yet? I have, of course. What? Uh, what? What? Why? How was he shit this time? What was the? What was the thing he was winching about? This was maybe the funniest uh, episode of the four. What? Because There's four, four parts. Th- There's another one coming. There's it's a five part all together. Oh my god! What's, I know. I. What's that about the future? Is it set in <laughs> thirty five or something? <laughs> 
I I really have enjoyed it. I think it's a, a really compelling look at the psyche of a, a Randy the Ram style real life person who can't let go of their heyday. And that that was never truer than than in this episode where Undertaker was outed as a Mick Foley slash Matt Hardy level WWE mark where so he's not on WrestleMania was this WrestleMania WrestleMania from two years ago, whatever number I've I've lost track of what number each WrestleMania is. But the yeah. one that he wasn't on, basically, right? The one after the uh thirty four. The um but he had the Roman Reigns match. He had after the John Cena match. The one after the year after Cena. So he shows up for WrestleMania week anyway because he, you know, he, he's he's around. WrestleMania is yeah. the thing that wrestler, a wrestler, a wrestler mecca, if you will. He shows up, and Vince gets a hold of him, and Vince says, "Well, uh, I got this idea for Raw. I got this idea for Raw. Uh, he's going to come out and attack Elias, basically, right?" Only one catch. Undertaker didn't because he wasn't booked. Undertaker didn't bring his gear with him, like Dennis Stamp. Like Dennis Stamp, I don't have my gear, Vince. Vince I'm not booked. So, <laughs> g- given that WrestleMania access is on, they could probably they probably have a little Undertaker costume lying around. They could, <laughs> or or worst case scenario, have him come out in his little bandana and his. His Undertaker shirt that he wears, like his his black uh, little dress shirt and his jeans, haven't come out. People aren't going to give a shite if he doesn't come out. Whatever he dressed as, it's the fucking Undertaker. People will be happy when he comes out and does his little choke slam. Yeah. Uh, sorry, boss. Neither of them are good enough for Vince McMahon. So Undertaker gets a plane from New York back to Texas to get his gear bag. What? West WrestleMania weekend flies back to Texas, gets his gear bag, flies back from Texas to New York in one weekend to come out and do his little two minute cameo on Raw. What a complete mark for the almighty McMahon dollar! And it also but, just uh, sounds like it makes it confirms everything else I've heard about this series, which it just makes him sound like a weirdo. A little bit, a little like like I said, a Mick Foley level. He he, you can hit, kick him when he's down; he'll still come crawling back and lick your feet. Ugh. Um, <laughs> I don't believe I, like he Undertaker. I don't have my bag, boss. We'll fucking go home and get it. <laughs> you know, go home to Texas, get a however many hour flight back, and come back with your little Why gear. Why did he have to fly back to get it? Why didn't someone else bring it? Well, who else is going to bring it? It was in this Just house. Send some... What, you couldn't send someone to the house and pick it up? <laughs> I don't know, but that's what he did. Is his neighbour not um... a key? Oh, fuck it. <laughs> um, it was very, very funny. Um, Undertaker does this thing. He does it all the time where he'll say something like, well, the last five years of my career have been really really shit and then he'll kind of do a sarcastic little roll of the eyes he does it all the time um he he definitely comes off as someone who's very very um upset with how things are going like it seems like he has the um 
he has the the Saudi match with with DX, and that goes horribly. And then he has the um, the Extreme Rules match. Um, or sorry, then he has the Goldberg match, and he's super excited about the Goldberg. Match. He thinks the Goldberg match is going to be good. Um, and then that turns out to be even more of a train wreck. Interestingly, they don't show the tombstone on Goldberg, and they kind of throw Goldberg under the bus a little bit. Yeah, they show him fucking up Undertaker. Yeah. Um, they show him running into the the post and hurting himself, and then him nearly killing Undertaker. Uh, they don't show Undertaker tombstoning Goldberg. Goldberg giving him the old Owen Hart pile driver special. Mm. Um, and yeah, a little bit, a little bit of Goldberg bashing goes on. And then he has the Extreme Rules match with him and Roman Reigns against Shane and Drew McIntyre, which I had zero memory of that happening. I guess because we don't watch it. But uh, then he's like real happy about that one, and he says, "This one, maybe this one will be the end." And he actually says to Vince afterwards, "I'm done. You know, that's it." Vince very easily changes his mind. He goes, I'm going to evaluate. And Vince says, well, we'll we'll talk about it later. Vince McMahon has this poor man fucking hypnotized or something. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, it goes off with him talking to uh, AJ. And that Triple H saying, well, if you're going to have your last one, AJ is, you know, the best dragon to chase or whatever. And obviously he has the Boneyard match with AJ, which I loved. Um, not a match per se, though. So I'm interested to see how they discuss that one, how, what his opinion is on that one. I'm sure he'll be very happy with how it turned out because I thought it was great. But uh, not a match, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to scratch his itch quite yet. Um, there was some nice stuff with him and his family uh, going to like access and looking at all this stuff, which he says is something he's never had the time to do. Obviously, before Vince throws his ass onto a plane to go back and get his fucking yeah. hat and his little boots. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the these shows are fairly compelling. This was kind of a, a little bit of a different slant because the, the first three all kind of followed the same story with the build up to WrestleMania, the letdown that the match wasn't so good, and kind of the the endless cycle that is his career is at this point. This one's a little bit different, but uh, I find them quite compelling. I must say, I find them quite quite an interesting look behind mm-hmm. the scenes of of a character who's been fairly closely guarded and i don't even think this one shone him in that good a light because like i said he comes off as as someone who's a bit of a mark a bit obsessive and a bit of a i don't know it was just weird how he's how under the thumb he was kind of in a weird almost culty way okay Uh, with that said, uh, is there anything you wanted to talk about for Dynamite? I didn't. I don't remember anything from Dynamite, to be honest. Uh, well, you had the FTR debut. Oh. Yeah, it was alright. Yeah, it was fine. What's your it thoughts was all right. on FTR, Paul? What's My that? thoughts on FTR. I think Barry and um, I are quite clear. Um, you're 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 not fans of FTR, no? I think yeah. they're. I think they're grand in the ring. I just don't. I just don't have a whole lot of energy for the fucking. We're we're a real tag team. You're not a real. Oh, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. But I think they are fine in the ring. To be fair, I thought I thought that debut match was perfectly fine for for what it needed to be. They they hit the the all time worst shatter machine on Danny Baker, um, <laughs> which 
which is called the Good Night Express now, which mm. I don't particularly like as a name, but whatever. Yeah, I like that they used the spike pile driver as the finish. Um, mm. It was it wasn't a, a very exciting match. It was I couldn't tell if they were supposed to be working heel or working babyface because they kind of they were working babyface, but then they they would have kind of heel mannerisms about them. Like they, they were the ones who were being cut off with Butchering Blade. They did the hot tag and all that. But I kind of assume with the young books that they're the heels in, in the, in the, the feud and their, their interview was kind of healy. They did the other week. So I don't know. I, don't, I still kind of don't know how to, how to uh, react to them. But then I think it's fair to say in AEW that quite a few acts have taken a little while to, to get properly rolling. So I, I'm I'm happy to wait and see on that. Um, uh, Chris Statlander is injured. She uh, tore her ACL, apparently. Yeah, that's that sucks. Towards the end of that match, so they can't catch a break. I'm telling you, these some of these people. Yeah. Um, she did. Uh, she heard on the dive right at the end. Apparently, up to save. Yeah. Onto the routinely awful Kip Sabian. <laughs> Um. Uh, they had the the orange thing with Jericho and Orange Cassie, where he hit him with a bag of oranges. They need to lay off the blood so often. Yeah, two weeks in a row. Yeah, it, two weeks in a row in segments where I don't, I didn't think it was um required or or earned in in either one. Like the Cody one was completely egregious. That was stupid. And I thought, yeah. and I thought here the 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 Jericho Orange Cassidy kind of jokey feud. Okay, they they wanted to get a little serious, but he's hitting them with a bag of oranges. Like to me, you don't need to, you don't need a bit of a bit of gigging in there to use uh, to use their lingo. And and to have Cassidy bleeding, like I I don't even necessarily have a problem with it, but to do it. In an angle where Jericho's like beating him up with the fruit, it's like uh, I don't know about that. Seems like a waste. Like the, it seems like a waste of blood. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe you have him. If you want to have blood, have him bleed and like have Jericho just beat his ass in the match and have him bleed and just have him be a destruction. But it was a, it was a it was a silly angle, I thought. And sometimes Jericho, as entertaining as he is, he does straddle that line sometimes a little too close for me. Mm. Um, Sammy Guevara, Colcabana had a good little match. Colcabana looks like he's joining the Dark Order, or at least they're teasing that. Um, what else did we have? Um, Mark Quinn versus I lo- Cody. I like this more than the Jungle Boy match. I've seen a lot of all over the shop opinions. You're the first person I've heard say that. I liked it just fine. Um, yeah, Quinn is still a bit young. Um, I haven't. I think this is my first time ever seeing him in a singles match. Uh, I thought the story with the leg was good, but at the same time, it, it was that other thing of just every now and then he was like still doing a dive. And I was like, uh, you know, let's <laughs> uh, all right, Cornette. Let's let's rein it in a little bit. But I thought it was still good. I thought he looked he looked really good overall. Um, yeah, yeah, it was good. And I, I think so far the Cody stuff is a, is a success. Well, I must say, two weeks in, I'm already tired of Cody defending the belt every week. <laughs> I'm not, but I am. I I don't need the uh, raising the hand every week and the what a, what a talent you are, kid. 
Um, like I get the the open challenge. That's fine. It doesn't have to be literally every single week. We're getting a Cody main event. Yeah. Like have for for a, a show that you already don't have everybody on every week. You're risking getting burned out on Cody very quickly and burned out on the title. And I, and I hope since they've announced since they've announced a match for Fighter Fest, which is like three weeks away, I hope they then don't also have him defending next week and the week after. Like, okay, if you're building up Fighter Fest, then pause. The, I think they the... I think they said there was going to be a title defense this week. Oh, they didn't announce silly. who against. I think they just showed a graphic of the belt and said there's going to be one. That's silly. That's silly. So they announced by the yeah, hey, it's. Hager versus Cody for Fighter Fest, which that does not sound like a good match in any capacity, to be honest. Yeah, well, Hager hasn't exactly set the world on fire. No, um, and it, it seems like because of that, there's going to be so many Cody shenanigans to try and make the match work. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fine for their for their you know secondary title. I, I don't mind Cody to go over Hager. It's fine. Hmm. Um. I like the Moxley Cage brawl. I thought this was a better Moxley promo as well. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought this whole thing was good. Yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, well, we didn't. I didn't mention after the FTR match, the Young Bucks came out, and so did Omega and uh, Page, and they had a real awkward standoff. That was very weird. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else we're missing? Uh, I think that's the the gist of it. Um, it was fine, it, you know, it, another solid dynamite, but not not a whole lot of notable stuff on it. Um, yeah. Uh, so should we, even though I know we have no intention of watching it, should we chat about this backlash card? Please, <laughs> please, let's have a chat about that. All right, let's are they going to have the swinging hooks? That's what I want to know. Almost certainly not. I mean, I know they did have the the house set for in your house, so maybe they'll surprise me with the hooks. But I, I don't think so. The hooks would be the youngest thing on the card. So. <laughs> um, so they've they've been adding stuff online. Uh, you know, the last couple of days. So they are doing the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders. We haven't talked about any of those skits they've been doing. Um, because I haven't watched any of them. Well, that's the funny thing is it, it really speaks to how little people are paying attention to Raw that these are not being widely ridiculed. Because every time they see, I like I follow WWE on Instagram, and every time they post like a clip of it, I'm like, this looks like the worst shite. I mean, it just looks like it looks like. Uh, like a Mr. Perfect sketch, but but twice, no, like three or four times as long and none of the charm. And like the Viking Raiders are the latest example of how, you know, comedy in and of itself isn't bad. It's the fact that every single act on the show has to do comedy. Um, like, I don't know why these two have to do comedy. Um, but uh, hypothetically, this could be a good match, but it's impossible to give a shite when they've been bowling and playing lacrosse for, for a month. This is like 1995 in your house free for all match. It just, um, oh, I mean, I like, I think these guys were good in NXT, but God, I was going to watch this. They weren't even that good in NXT. I mean, wow. Street Profits. Viking Raiders were fairly hard. Viking Raiders had that one good match I liked, to be honest. That's what I'm basing it on. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think they're both better than their station here. Mm. Yeah. Which is true of almost every act on this card. They're better than the shite they're given. Yeah. 
Apart from Nia Jax. <laughs> yeah, she's given loads. Um, Apollo Crews versus Andrade. I mean, I was going to say that's a raw match. It quite literally has been a raw match. Um, uh, should be good. I, you know, they, they're two good wrestlers. Um, but I, I can't say I care uh, myself. Uh, the women's tag team titles are on the line. Bailey and Sasha Banks, no idea when they won those versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus the Iconics. Um, like that could either be a lot of fun or it could be a complete train wreck. I feel like uh, they've had this same triple threat match many times. Like all of these teams have held those belts. Yeah. Over and uh, over again. So yeah, I, I assume uh, Bailey and Sasha wins because as they often do, they're as they did actually when they first won the belts like two years ago or a year ago, whatever it was, they, they're teasing, you know, we're going to go to NXT, we're going to wrestle the NXT teams, uh, and it would be fitting of WWE to, to have them lose the belts twice without delivering on that. Um, but yeah. Um, Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus, they did the piss-throwing <laughs> angle um, on SmackDown. In an angle that would definitely have been edited off the Sky One showing of SmackDown. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Hardy threw his piss in Sheamus's face. Jeff Hardy, this is like... Million Dollar Man versus I don't know IRS in 1996. It's like oh my god, this is 2020. We're talking about right? Yeah, Jeff Hardy. Did you see the volume of piss Jeff Hardy allegedly produced in this segment? (laughs) It it was like the Batman v Superman court scene with the big massive jar of piss. Um, <laughs> it'd be like if if you went to the wool shed before an OTT and asked for a pitcher of beer and a bunch of that you'd be happy <laughs> it actually did look like this oh my god oh Jeff Hardy and his wool shed piss anyway um, yeah so they're, they're doing the 10 millionth Jeff Hardy is a drug addict angle I feel like I've been watching this for the entirety of I mean career. he is to be fair yeah but like I feel like we've, been, we've seen so many angles about it at this stage mm-hmm. Uh, they should stop doing drugs then. Yeah, that's actually a fair point. Um, Asuka versus Nia Jax, like whatever. I who, who can who can summon a take about that when Nia Jax just the, the never ending push of Nia Jax, you know? God, they need to call up some some women onto this main roster. I feel like we've been watching these same people uh, mm. go, go through I the mean... motions, you know. The problem is they have and they don't do anything with them. Like, wasn't uh, Bianca Belair called up? She's not even on the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's not even advertised as with the street. I, she hasn't been in any of those skits. I wonder if they like... Apparently, she's been having matches on main event, but I'll have to take someone's word on that. Um, yeah, I think I've seen that. Uh, oh, my God. Like, the, the top of this card is really where you lose it. I mean, like, realistically, on paper, there is some, like, fine mid-card matches here. Get a load of these title matches, right? Braun Strowman versus The Miz and Morrison in a handicap match for the title. I mean, that is, like, 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 I'm trying to think of of examples of handicap matches on pay-per-view with decent champions. And I actually, the only one I can think of is Austin versus Vince and Shane. But that was Vince and Shane at the very least, you know, at the peak. And Austin wasn't the champion there either. Oh, that's right. No, that was for Power of the Company, yeah. Yeah, Undertaker Rock was the yeah. title match. That... Like, this is like if Austin was the champion and he was defending against the Headbangers. 
Um, like the only other one I can think of is Undertaker against the Dudley Boys, Great American Bash, two thousand four. Like a famously awful main event. Yeah, um, where they, yeah, like just like total shit. Like uh, it's what if if you want to bring the Miz and Morrison back and have them do the the same act they did ten years ago, that's fine. But that wasn't even a main event act ten years ago. You know, mm. um, I tell you what though. Have some balls and have Miz and Morrison win, and I will, I'll give them a thumbs up. I like their YouTube video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then the other title match is Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley. Like, what can you imagine? Like, I'm so curious. What kind of reactions would Drew be getting if this was in front of fans? I feel like there's not a like fair enough. Like his his thing is simple enough. He just wins matches and he, he beats people up. Maybe it would be working, but I feel like this is the most uninteresting uh, championship reign I can recall. Can I, can I just point out, this was the uh, main event of Impact uh, for the TNA World Heavyweight title in July 2015. Yeah, this was a Slammiversary 2016 and, main event. Yeah, as well. they, I think they did it a bunch of times. So five years on, this is now the main event for the WWE title. <laughs> I'm wondering if this is the first time in history that a TNA title match has been recreated in WWE, because I can't think of that ever happening again. I'm sure it's happened the other that way around, Kurt Angle. <laughs> it but, definitely has. But definitely the other way around, but I'm sure it's never happened this way around. That's a good little trivia question, isn't it? I'll, I'll pose that on uh, and uh, MVP in the corner of Lashley. I mean, like, Lashley, I actually don't mind Lashley. I thought his Mania match was all right, and, you know. But and, and another one where I'm just kind of like, they're, they're, I think they're kind of almost cashing in on the fact that there's no one in attendance to shit all over this feud. Mm. Um, uh, but, yeah. And then in the big, the big selling point of the show, Edge versus Randy Orton in a singles match. I mean, I don't know if we can say anything that hasn't already been said about the way they're pushing this as the greatest wrestling match ever. Um, both the people involved have been taking the mick out of it mercilessly. Um, I'm genu- I am genuinely curious to see if they're actually going to try and have a great match or if it's all a bit and it's going to be um, one RKO or if they're going to do comedy. Or, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, or is it going to be completely earnest? I really don't know. I was wondering that myself, but I think at this stage they have to just have a match. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be like the Homer Badman interview, where it just cuts. Randy's going to be that, po- pouring with sweat, and then the next minute, I'm fine. <laughs> that's something they could they could do um, with the pre tapes. Have double rotation Canadian destroyers and just CGI it, or have stuntmen come in and ricochet with a wig doing somersault spears for it. Just have it be completely off the wall. Uh, yeah, so so we'll see. I feel bad for Edge. That, that, that's why I, I kind of come down on the side of I think they'll just earnestly try and have a good match because I feel like I had this Edge come back to the list of, of softballs that WWE has bollocked up to to, to, mm. to no end. I mean, I don't know how it's, it's ended up this way. But um, anyway, we'll... Uh, uh, we'll we'll wait and see. I you know what I would love nothing more than to wake up tomorrow and to hear people say that match was great and actually worth seeking out. So so hopefully next week on the show we'll come out here and say oh we actually went out of our way to see it because it was so good. Um, speaking of, 
I did not watch it, but I do want to watch AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan from SmackDown. Um, because they had a, I don't know if you heard that, they had a like a four segment through commercials uh, match that was apparently excellent. Hmm. Why didn't they do that on their that one pay per view that one time? Yeah, good point. Damn, when they had a not very good match. Got him. Oh, slam. Yeah. Uh, anyway, with all that said, we're gonna call it there, lads. Hope everyone enjoys backlash. We'll be back next week with uh, <laughs> maybe a backlash review. We'll see. Uh, I'll probably be giving you some mid-game thoughts on, on Last of Us 2 and uh, whatever else comes along. Um, uh, another hour of Simpsons chat, don't you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But until until then, uh, we're going to wrap up here. ChairShotPodcast.com, at ChairShotPod on Twitter to keep in touch with us. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll wrap up here. It's a goodbye from me, Barry Murphy. It's goodbye from Paul Griffin. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Mr. Joe Turner. Goodbye.